This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You're listening to Get Started Investing, a production of Equity Mates Media. This series is everything you need to get started on your investing journey. You don't need a lot of brains in this business. Investing in yourself is the best thing you can do. Anything that improves your own now time. Now you can get rich very young just by having an idea. I mean, I can buy anything I want, basically, but I can't buy time. Welcome to Get Started Investing. In this podcast, we cover all the basics that you need to start your investing journey. Are you joining us for the very first time or is this the start of your journey? Well, before you dive into this episode, we suggest that you go straight to the start of our feed as we recommend that starting from the first episode is the best place to start. If you're feeling brave though and just want to dive in, then don't let us stop you. Here at Get Started Investing, we unpack all the jargon and confusing bits, hear your investing stories with the goal of making investing less intimidating. And of course, along the way, we want to have a good time. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm very good, Bryce. Very excited for this episode. We love uh, speaking to members of the Equity Mates and Get Started Investing community, Yes, uh, hearing their stories. People hear enough from us. Um, so, I'm excited to, to do that again today. So am I. It is our pleasure to welcome to the show, Alicia Aitken-Radburn. Alicia, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, equity buddy. <laughs> <laughs> It is exciting. We've been chatting on email for for a while now um, for this very moment. You've got plenty of questions to ask about your investing journey. We've got plenty of questions to ask you as well. So over the next sort of half an hour or so, we're going to be unpacking um, unpacking all sorts of things. Really, it's it's uh, it's going to be exciting. But uh, look, before we we start. For those of you who haven't come across you before, Alicia, are you able to introduce yourself and maybe tell us a bit about uh, who you are and, and what you're doing with your investing journey at the moment? Oh, gosh. Okay. Um, <laughs> my name's Alicia. Um, some of you may recognize me or know me from my uh, – I've done a couple of reality TV appearances. Also, um, very, very highly likely a lot of – I don't know what the sort of uh, shared audience between Get Started Investing, Equity Mates Community and Bachelor in Paradise is. <laughs> big crossover. <laughs> yeah, yeah, big crossover. <laughs> Huge crossover. Yeah. Um, but but for anyone who doesn't know me, I was on uh, three seasons in total. I was on The Bachelor. I started off on the Honey Badgers season uh, and then I did two seasons of Bachelor in Paradise. So that's probably like more my public facing identity. Um, and other than my other side, I do feel like I live to life sometimes is um, I've predominantly worked in uh, politics. I've worked for a range of 
shadow ministers, parliamentarians, no ministers yet because I'm a Labor Party person and I, I'm from New South Wales. So <laughs> from a state level, <laughs> New South Wales Labor hasn't so much seen the government <laughs> seats in you, a while. You are in Perth now though, so a little bit more uh, luck over there. <laughs> exactly. So, but I've, I've sort of moved out of politics now and I work in corporate communications. So I work for a fabulous firm called Newgate and uh, we do a whole range of comms work for a range of fabulous clients. And as for my investing journey, I started investing seriously. When I started listening to Equity Mates and Get Started Investing, I went from the very first episode uh, in only about August last year. So it's been about six months uh, and yeah, I'm I'm fully into it now. I've got a I I think I like to think I've got a strong core and <laughs> a um <laughs> maybe I don't know about the satellite. It's a bit rogue. There might be some uh, alternative assets in Dogecoin. But nice. <laughs> no, but that's yeah, good. it's all ticking along really well. Well, I've got plenty of questions about Bachelor in Paradise, but I think we'll take that offline and uh, focus on the investing journey. So, we'll start with a couple of true or false questions that we always kick these off and then we'll just have a bit of a chat. Yeah, let's do it. So, uh, true or false, uh, your very first investment has been your most successful False. Yeah. <laughs> um, my, do, are we quick fire or do we want to? No, no let's, go into let's it. hear yeah, the yeah. story. Oh, okay. So it's like, I, I think you'd be quite proud, sort of, it's 50-50. It's not been my most fruitful, but it is sort of generally in line with the Get Started Investing philosophy. Um, I, when I first started investing, I, I think I was listening to a couple of episodes here and there. I also knew that couple, uh, a, a sort of number of my peers, my sort of group of mates from uni had started on the sort of like ETF wagon. Um, and I literally asked, we've got like a group of all my uni mates who have now moved across Australia and we're all adulting, etc. And I think I literally posted a thread and I was like, so what, what ATFs am I buying? Very sort of, uh, we were talking about investing styles and I unfortunately have a big streak of taking a tip, Um, (laughs) (laughs) but someone that I think like, you know, everyone was jotting down their favorite, like three, three letters. Um, and I think I ended up going with, um, I was reading through them all. I ended up going with VAS, Ethi and IXJ, IXJ, the global iShares healthcare thing. Oh, yeah. okay. Is that a thematic ETF? That Would is. Would you consider it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Nice, she knows nice. her stuff. So I started with those three. <laughs> you know, like they haven't necessarily, like they haven't been my most successful investment. My most successful investment has probably been um, Bendigo Bank. Okay. Uh, I, uh, that was like my first individual stock that I bought. And I did have some thought process around it because I really liked, uh, a lot of people would know that Bendigo Bank has just released recently UpBank as a sort of subsidiary and a product. And so I thought, 
you know, I think that that's going to go gangbusters, like amazing interface. I loved using it. It was really helping my saving. And so I had a bit of a thesis there and I went with it and that's been very fruitful. So, you know, my first investments weren't my most fruitful investments, but I think that they were not bad decisions. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. No, that's, uh, that's a good way to start. Uh, you mentioned Dogecoin uh, earlier. I'm surprised that's not been your most successful investment. True. <laughs> oh, actually, you know, this week maybe it yeah. is. Yeah. But, um, I've got a bit of a, from listening to the podcasts, am I right in saying, Ren, you're probably more of the impulsive one of the two. Bryce, you're uh, like, what you're pretty you sensible. <laughs> Bryce is pretty sensible, yeah. Uh, sensible, yeah. You're definitely more impulsive when it comes to, uh, I think, buying things probably, on, the, yeah, on the stock yeah. market. Yeah, yeah. You have many more individual positions true, than true. I do. I'm yeah. just less impulsive when it comes to crypto. Or maybe just less bullish when you it comes to crypto. You actually hold more crypto assets than I do. Really? Yeah, there I don't have go. Ethereum. There you go. <laughs> oh, my, my Ethereum's going very well. Yeah, I, can imagine. I, got, I, got, I got lucky with Bitcoin in the sense that actually, you know what? Technically, probably VAS, VAS, like, you know, those ETFs are my most recent investment in this investing journey that I've started in August, which is like more serious. But something amazing happened to me last year. Um, <laughs> I think it was probably around around like July, August last year, all the Bitcoin chat started up mm-hmm. again. And and I had been around the last time the Bitcoin chat really took off, which yeah. was about like 20, end of 2017, 2017. Yeah. 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 beginning yeah, yeah, yeah. of 2018. And me and my friend Dylan, we got on that train hard. We were like buying. I think I've got like I've got some Tron or something like that. <laughs> anyway, I bought I bought this Bitcoin. I think I had Bitcoin ETH and some other random coins. And because I like from 2017 to now, like August when I've now started my formal ingest- investing journey, um, I've been between jobs and stuff. So I assumed that I cleaned all of my accounts of any sort of money I could find. Um, but this year I just thought I was sitting at my desk. I searched Bitcoin in my email and I, I started to log into all of these, you know, CoinSpot, CoinJar, and I found I found like 200 bucks here, 200 bucks there. I <laughs> no. was like, I'll just leave it. I'll just leave it. And now it's been it's very booming. Nice, nice. That's great. That is literally set and forget. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so Alicia, um, you know, we always talk about uh, investing goals and the motivations behind starting to invest. And sometimes it's really difficult for, for someone to articulate why they've started or what their investing goals are when they're at the beginning of their journey, which is completely fine. Um, have you thought about what you're trying to achieve by starting to invest or do you have a goal in mind? Is it a short-term goal, long-term goal? What, how are you sort of playing this? Oh, yes. So, I mean, for context, I guess, um, my sort of like childhood, I, it was just me and my mom and we didn't, we didn't really like, um, investing was never something that would have been able to be even thought of. We were very much a paycheck to paycheck kind of family. That being said, my grandpa was a, you know, school of equity mates. He was buying like blue chips, leaving them for 30 years. Obviously, ETFs weren't sort of as proliferated 
separated then. Um, so I've always known, and I was always very impressed by that. Like he was a figure in my life and I always had this sense, like I need to learn how to do this. And I'm glad I have, because I do think that it is not to get too philosophical, but I do think that investing and what you guys are doing with equity mates and get started investing. I truly believe that learning how to grow wealth and put your money to work is a really big thing in our society that sort of um, it, it leads to a bit of class division in a soft mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. Like I do think that by people not being educated about how to put their money to work, um, yeah, it's it's a really sort of defining factor. And so I'm glad that you guys are doing this. My now intention for – so I think that – that, that definitely played a role in it. I think that um, my mum invested in me and so I felt this sort of obligation to learn and to invest in myself further and grow my money. So my current intention is saving for a house deposit like so many of us, like I'm 28, so many sort of late 20s, early 30s. It really seems to be like head down, bum up and everyone's trying really, really hard. Um, and you know, you guys can help me with this a little bit further because I do fear that uh, even though like I hear all this chat in the Equity Mates community and I listen to your podcast and I think that you guys have a very long-term view, I fear that because I'm so desperate for a house deposit that while I am investing and I'm doing everything right, like I'm waiting till I've got a good parcel of money, putting it in my brokerage account and buying a parcel of relatively safe ETFs, um, unless I listen to Specky McGee. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, I think I'm doing everything right, but I do fear that just an undercurrent subconsciously, I do think I probably want to pull out a portion of my portfolio at some stage to supplement the cash savings that I have to buy a house. And I think I'm worried I'm shooting myself in the foot that I'm taking out all this beautiful compounding magic that I could be doing, but I don't really know what the alternative is in this like low interest rate context mm. where I'm earning like $17 every month in my <laughs> yeah, bonus yeah. interest requirements. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about this because you're probably not the only one who has this similar feeling of wanting to accelerate your cash savings and take advantage of, I guess, the the beauty of the stock market and the inadequate interest rates that you're getting in, in your bank account, and that is to save for a deposit for a house. Um, you know, we all want to get into the housing market and it's super inaccessible for a lot of us and saving that deposit is incredibly difficult and balancing that with uh, with the message that we're trying to give, which is keep your money in there because the benefits of long-term compounding is is very valuable. And, and I think we also try and talk about, you know, if you are thinking of short-term savings, then Um, I guess the risk associated with being in the stock market versus uh, having it in a super safe bank account um, is something to consider. So, I guess my question is, Bryce, do you think that investing as a whole should be considered as an avenue to boost your house deposit savings? Should Should we as an equity mates community even be considering putting our money somewhere for less than like five to seven years? 
Super personal question, I guess. Yeah. So I think I think there's this is where we go. Uh, no financial yeah. advice. <laughs> We're out. We got to we got to preface this with exactly that that yeah. uh, everyone's circumstances are different. Go and speak to a financial advisor to uh, to factor in your individual circumstances. But I, I think from like a high level, the reason that uh, we say and that a lot of people say you shouldn't use the share market as a savings vehicle is because just that volatility and, you know, like what we saw in 2020, what we saw in 2008, even if what we saw at the end of 2018, like it can crash and it can crash hard. Um, and if you're getting to that point where you've, you know, you're getting your mortgage approved, you're, you're bidding on houses and all of a sudden the market falls 40%, like that's a terrible situation to be in and it can take a while to recover. So that's that's probably the first key thing to keep in mind that, if you are going to use it as a savings vehicle, no matter how safe you go, if you go like Vanguard, highly diversified ETF, it could still fall 40% right when you need it. So so that's probably the first thing. Yeah, I guess the question, how, how would you feel if we had a repeat of March 2020 last year when 30% of the stock market just fell away? Well, see, this is where I get myself into sort of tricky thought <laughs> yeah, circles yeah, yeah. because I'm, I'm very much like, uh, I, I think it's really good how you put it that way, Ren, that when you, from a more practical perspective, like what happens if you're at home opens and you're signing the pieces of paper and you like, you know, hopefully I would have hoped that maybe I would have um, had a exit strategy. Yeah, and I, sure. I, I and like, you know, I'm not thinking like, oh, I just got to get those few extra dollars from that. <laughs> Where's um, my dividends? Yeah, one more dividend. <laughs> one more. <laughs> I think that my thought, like my bad thought circle here is, and maybe it's not that bad. Like maybe I can be a bit more chill about it. Like it's not the end of the world. But I do like, I guess I, I, I think that, oh, you know, if March 2020 was to happen, like I, I'll do what I do with Bitcoin. I'll just hodl and <laughs> and um, we'll just try and we'll try and buy a house in two years. Mm. Like I think I guess that's my I, I like I want to be completely honest because I, I do think that people tend to avoid this area of like actually pulling out their money for property because we are all trying to be this like angel investor who is putting money into like super safe ETFs and just holding for 40 years for our retirement. Mm. Yeah. But I do want to be honest, like I think that probably, you know, the high, like there is probably a good likelihood that let's hope that some of my satellite does well. I think probably down the track, let's say two, three years, I will probably sell some of those assets and that probably will supplement my house deposit. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I reckon I'm probably the same. Like I'm not putting money into the share market being like I'm going to pull it out in five to seven years to buy a house. Hopefully I can buy a house before then. We'll see. Um, but it's it's probably, probably pretty common to take some of your money out when you need to make a big purchase like that. I, yeah, yeah. I, I think the main thing is like you just have to be willing to know, like you have to know that it may not all be there exactly when you need it. Yeah, I yes. have a couple. I had a couple of mates at work who liquidated up to sort of eighty percent of their portfolio to to buy a house, and they were sort of comfortable with the fact that, yeah, sure, I'm I'm going to be taking these out. I'm equally going to be buying an asset that I hope is going to appreciate over time, mm-hmm. and that I'll be able to keep and rent it out if I were to move on to another house. So it's not like they're liquidating 80% of their portfolio to go on a holiday to Hawaii. Yes. And that's where you can really 
miss out on the long-term opportunity for compounding or, you know, missing out on developing wealth and building wealth. And and they structured their finances as such that they had the mortgage, bought the house, and then were comfortable with, all right, we'll now just start again and keep chipping away at building my core. So, yeah, I don't think there's – I don't think getting caught up in, in knots about it is um, – is, worth it if that makes sense but I do think that you have to be honest with yourself and like have that conversation with yourself that um you might not be able to have as stricter timelines on your wealth building as you might want to like where are we now 2021 like I can't say to myself I'm gonna use my share portfolio as a vehicle to get me to 2023 then I'm gonna liquidate and then I'm gonna buy because you know it might not work that way we could have like I mean, touch bloody wood, but GFC 2.0 and you might have to wait out like a longer period of time. It might change all of your plans. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I think also like if you're thinking that short term, then it also is like, well, what are you going to invest in? And, um, you know, if you're a year out from buying a house, you're not going to be putting it in like Dogecoin and SafeMoon and <laughs> and stuff like that, or or even like you know triple leveraged ETFs and stuff like that. It's like if if I think I'm going to need this money sooner, I'm going to treat myself like a retiree basically, who's you know almost about to retire and in investing super conservative. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I think like for me as well, it's. You know, I'm not viewing myself as necessarily a retiree with, but I, I think I think there are investment vehicles out there at the moment that particular assets, whatever, that you can can probably like a bit safely. I, mean, I think that there are avenues where you can get a better return than a savings account, for instance. Yeah, absolutely. Honestly, yeah. you almost couldn't get a worse return than a savings account these yeah. days. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do peer-to-peer lendings and that's just rolling over month to month and that's giving a better- uh, What's that? Better return. <laughs> it, it comes with risk, um, of course, but essentially you uh, put your money into a platform and then that business will then go and loan that money to someone else who, who, oh who, needs, who needs it and then they'll- uh, they'll pay back a pay back the money with a, a higher return uh, or an, an interest rate that is higher than your savings yeah. account. The, if- the risk is that obviously they don't pay it back. Yeah, there are I guess uh, things in place to help uh, investors if if that does happen. But um, yeah, if, if you think about a bank, it's like you put your money in the savings and then they loan it out to to people who want to borrow. It basically just cuts out the middleman and it. It's a platform that says you just lend it directly to the people that want to borrow it and you'll get a higher interest rate and they'll get a better interest rate because the bank's not sitting in the middle. Have a look so, at yeah. it's called it's called plenty if you want to have a look oh, at it. Oh yeah, I've heard of it with yeah. the eye on the end. Yeah, yeah. yeah. classic like tech. The collectivism. <laughs> classic tech. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's the plenty that I think we both use. There's other ones out there. Um it's a it's an interesting one. It it uh, obviously we can't make recommendations about what to use, but it's a good one to look into. <laughs> Before we move on, we just want to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop 
dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So, Alicia, we had a bunch of questions to ask, but I'm liking this um, vein of conversation and, and we really want to talk about barriers and questions that our community face. So, I... Are there any other sort of barriers or questions that you're currently thinking about or facing that we can chat through? Yeah, I guess, oh gosh, I could take this in like a multitude of directions <laughs> because um, because all of my, I, like I, I worried about this when we were corresponding, Bryce, that like there wasn't any general theme because I just That's have fine. like five bajillion questions. <laughs> um, okay. I'm just going to throw a really random one out there, but I mentioned, I think in my first email to you, which I have yet to, I like, you know, it's gone into the ether. So I don't know <laughs> yeah. what I've already said, um, but I don't, I don't understand how, how like, let's say, oh, this is a perfect example. And it's a really bad indictment on maybe because it's definitely satellite. I bought like a um, exploratory miner the other day. <laughs> um, well, it taught me some really good lessons. Like I'm not going to continue down that strategy, but I'm sitting there um, and just like to paint a picture, I think it was um, the price was like uh, 15 cents or something like that. And when it goes up and down, like just to like 14 cents and this is, and I'm people are going to be scared now hearing how I talk about this and be like, mate, you need to like not be investing or you need to like <laughs> learn, get some better like math skills. Um, but when it's like going down to 14 cents, but then that's like 6% and that's the biggest move on my portfolio. I think the only other like that, like um, extreme movement like that, that I'd seen was like, uh, I'm also going to position in, am I allowed to talk about my position? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I've talked to lots of equity mates in the group about zip going to the moon. Um, nice. <laughs> I've also got some zip. And so that was the only other um, individual stock that I'd seen that like moved, like, you know, I felt like it would go up a couple of dollars or something and it would be quite significant percentage wise. Um, how does this specky exploratory miner that's 15 cents versus like CSL um, to 250 bucks a share, um, how do they get their prices? Like I get the movement stuff and I get, you know, but I don't understand like what makes a company be $250 versus 15 cents. Good question. That is a really good question. Um, and it's definitely one that a lot of equity mates would have. So, so basically if you, the company decides how many shares they want to issue, like, you know, equity mates uh, to start with, I think we had two shares. Bryce owned one. I wanted I a billion one. shares. You guys have shares. Are you guys IPOing? <laughs> no, 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 one no. day, one day. I mean, yeah. You've, we've actually just broken news. But, uh, yeah, we're IPO. <laughs> <laughs> it would be epic content it if we IPO. Yeah. 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 It's be a whole, that's the next chapter. Shares would be huge. But let's say, let's say equity mates was worth 100 bucks. And Bryce right. owned one, sh and like as a company, we decided uh, Bryce owns one share, I own one share. Each share is fifty dollars because the company's worth a hundred. Bryce wanted to issue a billion shares. I don't know if you can do the maths quickly. What's a uh, hundred over a billion? I definitely but, like, can't. <laughs> <laughs> but like, if if Bryce got his way and issued a billion shares, each share would have been worth a fraction of a cent. 
because the the company's still worth a hundred bucks. So, and that's market cap is what you'll see, like the total value of the company. Um, that's the important thing. That's how much the company's worth. And so the market cap is what the company is worth. Yeah. yeah. And then if you go market cap divided by the number of shares um, yep. and the company, there, there's no rules about how many shares it can be as many or as few as the company wants. Um, then that gets to the share price. So, right. you know, Zip, if Zip there, what are they like eight bucks now? Um, that. That. Uh, no, that, no. <laughs> <laughs> they've, they've Let me check myself. <laughs> the second part to that question is how do you get from eight to two hundred and fifty? And yes, that is all done through the stock market, and that is just people willing to pay more and more for the stock. So essentially, you've got the share market is where people who want to buy the stock and people who want to sell the stock come together. The people who want to buy the stock on one side are all putting in bids through their brokers yeah. um, and they're saying it's $8, I'm prepared to pay $8.01, I'm prepared to pay $7.59 and there's just a whole range of people who are prepared to pay X price and there are a whole range of people who are prepared to sell it at certain prices and the share market matches these sellers and buyers together. And if there are more people willing to buy than there are to sell, then the price just continues to go up and up and up because the sellers can essentially force higher prices um, because there's more demand. Likewise, if there's too many people willing to sell and not enough to buy, the price goes down. So essentially to get from eight to 250, it just means that there are so many people willing to pay more and more and more for the pri- for that stock and it just keeps on rising. I mean, I think I could talk about this all day, but, you know, it would take up a lot of our time. But going back to that original example of like you guys both, uh, you know, equity mates is 100 bucks. You guys both have a share each, $50, and then Bryce wants to issue 1 billion shares. <laughs> is that is that just a decision that is made by the company's owners and can they do whatever they really want and how does that impact the market cap or? Yeah, yeah. So the company can make a decision. So like let's say Equity Mates was like, we want to acquire every finance podcast in Australia. We want to roll them up. That's the business. <laughs> we we One way we could do that, we could go to the bank and be like, we want to borrow heaps of money and we'll pay you interest and we'll pay it back. Or we could go to the market and say, this is our business plan. Um, we're going to issue these shares. You guys buy these shares from us and then we'll use the money to then go and execute the business. So companies sell shares to raise money. Um, and similarly, companies can say, all right, we got heaps of money. Um, we're going to buy shares back off you and just destroy them. So we because we want less shares in the market. Um, okay. So companies make that decision to like buy and sell their own shares, um, just to manage how many shares they've got an issue, stuff like that. And what would be the what do you guys find is usually the general reason why you know I was just joking about like equity mates IPOing. Let's use that example. <laughs> you want to take over? We're getting an insight into your mind. Yeah. <laughs> every finance podcast, we're coming for you. She's on the money. <laughs> you want to take over every finance podcast, but you're going to need a lot of money to do so, right? Yeah. But it will also probably result in like you'll be freaking rich after we've got like everyone. <laughs> 
Glenn James, look at you. Um, um, you, you like get probably, you know, you're going to be telling these shareholders at IPO or whatever that you're going to make a lot of money for them by having all of these finance podcasts. What does a company like, why would a company choose to go through like a private route or list on the st- stock market? Is that it? Does that make sense? It does. It's a good question. It's it's a question that okay. a lot of CEOs spend a lot of time <laughs> trying to figure out. So, like, if you if you go public, your access to capital is so much greater. So, like, going doing an IPO gives you a chance to raise a heap of money and like uh, get a lot of value, like uh, get a higher valuation. So, like, if you have grand plans to take over the world and you need a lot of money to do it the best way to get that money is to list um, and go public. Right. But going public kind of sucks in some ways. Do you, you know Whole Foods over in the US? Yeah. Um, yeah. So they went public and the CEO, John Mackey, who also founded Whole Foods, hated it. Hated it so much, complained about it because, like, it's a very public job. Like, and everyone has, like, your AGM is on and, like, exactly. some yeah, grandpa yeah. who owns stocks is like, I don't think you should be selling bloody Exa- lentils yeah, anymore. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, if you're like, I want to think super long term, but your shareholders are like, where's my dividend? Why did the share right. price fall this week? It's like, you've got to answer to them because they own part of your company. And so... Uh, Whole Foods is a great example where eventually John Mackey was like, I don't want to be public anymore. And then they sold to Am- yeah, sold to Amazon. Yeah. Um, and so now he's, I mean, Amazon's public, but he's now sort of protected from all that because he's now part of a bigger company. So it's like, you know, as a, as a business, you're like, do we want to raise money? Do we want to let, you know, our early investors sell their shares in the share market and stuff like that? That's some reasons why you might go public, but there's there's a lot of scrutiny, a lot of additional reporting requirements, a lot of lot more shareholders you have to manage. So it's a lot more work to be a public company. If you don't need to go public, you just stay private and you say, that's a lot of noise that we don't need. And that's why you see all those like massive US um, startups. Well, they're not really startups anymore, but you know, like Airbnb, Uber, all of those guys stayed private for so long. Ages, yeah. Because they just had so much cash. And so they were like, we don't need to go public. And because they were so like innovative and disruptive, I guess, did they have a lot of, you know, um, I don't know what it's called, like private equity or like, yeah, you know, yeah. the people like private people being like, I want to give you money. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. They had cool. so much money from, yeah, private equity, venture capital, all of that stuff. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm aware that you've got a gazillion questions, Alicia. So I do. <laughs> do we I've want to? I've got another one at yeah. the tip of my tongue. Yeah, let's do it. Let's go to the question that I asked about. Um, we're going to ETF territory now, so yep. we love it. Very nice and boring, uh, as we like it. <laughs> what happens? Okay. So recently there was a nice dividend paid by, you mentioned it before, Ren, um, Vanguard Highly Diversified. I'm going to get the acronym wrong, but it's like Uh, VDHG. Yeah, VDHG, yeah. Love it. Um, There was a nice dividend and it's like from what I understand it is, you know, what it says it is. It's highly diversified. It's got basically like everything in it. (laughs) What? Why would someone, and I got super jealous because people are like posting up their dividends and you know you I imagine you get quite good compounding in you know just putting all your money into that one ETF why would someone um why wouldn't we all just put our money in that um rather and the comparison I'll make here is like I've probably gone 
down more of a route um, like the hypothetical portfolio. I know you guys are shifting the structure. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not financial advice. Um, why would someone choose to do what I'm doing? I've already made that decision, I guess, where I go for more like a, I've got, uh, I'm doing like vast, so like tracking a 300 um, and I, I haven't bought yet because I already made that decision to buy Ethi and I thought that, um, I thought that that covered actually quite a lot of sort of, um, I think Ethi is global or heavily loaded to America, I think. It's like 70% yeah. American. So I've sort of just been keeping down that route rather than buying, I think it's VTS that tracks um, VTS, American. Uh, yeah, total yeah. US market, is it? Yeah. 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 So why would someone choose to go like VAS of VTS and maybe like a European ETF tracker in um you know in comparison to the highly diversified vanguard so it's it's a really good question i think the the first thing to note is that if you look at the highly diversified vanguard um etf it basically is doing what we're talking about with the core portfolio so uh it owns an australian shares index fund which is Let's use index fund and ETF interchangeably. Rather here. than, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So an Australian shares ETF, an international shares ETF, um, a bond ETF, a small companies ETF, an emerging markets ETF, and a fixed in- income ETF. But like the majority of its holdings are the Australian and the international shares ETF. So basically, if you buy VDHG, you're doing that core portfolio, but just in one transaction. Um, and so. You're getting access to a lot of things that you would otherwise, maybe some things that you're not super interested in, like um, fixed income and a bond ETF is together 10% of the portfolio. Um, maybe you want it, maybe you don't. And um, that's like super conservative, right? Like Yeah, that's yeah. But that's where, that's where the extra juice in the dividend comes from. Like you get a dividend right. from the Australian shares stuff and the international shares stuff, but owning the bond and the fixed uh, income... Um, that gives you an extra payout. So that's probably why the dividend looks so good. So so really VDHG is just a shortcut if it's like, I want to buy one thing, I don't want to think about it a lot. But if you're like, oh no, I want to include maybe some thematic ETFs in my core or I don't want to include some of these things that they're holding, you, you're basically just replicating the same thing yourself. Yeah, yeah. it's about concentration and... You know, you might only think that the best investments are going to be the Australian Stock Exchange and the American Stock Exchange over the next 40 years. So buying something that gives you bonds and fixed income and cash is not aligning with your investment goals and your thesis. So you wouldn't go down that path. Um, And it also, for me, it's about where you're at in your investing journey. I think for me, um, you know, you can buy ETFs that are heavily weighted towards bonds and cash and quite a conservative uh, structure. And that's something you'd think about you know, later in life when you're trying to preserve capital. But for now, for me, it's like I really just want full exposure to equities. I'm not so concerned about cash and fixed income and taking a massive dividend. I'd rather have great growth over the next 10 or 20 years and then think about, well, how do I save my capital? Do you get um, this... Do you get worried, I guess, that you're not, and I might have this wrong, so please correct me. Let's say I have $10,000. Are you not getting more compounding magic if you just chuck all of that $10,000 in a highly diversified, uh, you know, VDHG, you know, everyone knows what we're talking about. 
versus splitting that 10 grand across four ETFs. Aren't you getting better compounding? It depends. If you're thinking about compounding from the point of view of dividends, then then no, compounding doesn't come just from being paid dividends. Compounding is, you know, if your ETF goes up 10% in year one, uh, it then goes up 5% year two, you're compounding year on year that way. Um, It is incorrect to assume that splitting your money, you're going to lose out on compounding because Mm -hmm. if all four ETFs that you put, you split, if they compound at 20% each year on year, then that's that's massive relative to one ETF that would have compounded 15% or whatever it may be. So, Split thinking that if you split your money, you're missing out on compounding opportunities is not true. That is the comfort that I was looking for. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Think of VDHG as like a, a portfolio all in one thing. So either yeah. look at if you're going to buy things individually, look at how your portfolio compounds, um, and then compare that to how VDHD, which is G, which is a portfolio in one. Um, but either way, look at how your whole portfolio portfolio goes. So, some other questions. Speaking about ETFs, you had a good one that you sent through, which was, when, where, how does the management oh. fee for ETFs oh, yeah, get taken? Yeah. 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 Is it deducted by my broker? I've never noticed it, in which I imagine is it a good <laughs> thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, because I was like super scared because, I, you know, um, we hate fees, um, but uh, the fees seem quite minuscule for most of them and I don't notice. So Yeah, you don't notice. And it's a it's a... It's a, it's not sneaky, but it's a, it, it's done in a way that you're not. It's not deducted from your broker. It's you're not going to get a, a statement at each month saying you owe beta shares in Vanguard three cents. You know, it's <laughs> um it how they do it is a management fee is based on the total assets that the fund manager holds. So Vanguard or or beta shares, for example, if you're in the ASX. 200 ETF has maybe a billion under management, so they'll take 1.5% of that or whatever the fee is, 0.4. Yeah, who's paying 1.5% yeah, <laughs> The way that they do this, though, is to reflect it in the actual price of the ETF and without going into too much detail, but um, they essentially calculate it each day and and they build that into the price of the ETF and then take it out of the funds each month um, that are under management. So you will never see it but it is just reflected in in the price of the actual ETF. Yeah, so they do all the work. Yeah, is, they do all the work. Uh, you don't need to know anything. <laughs> okay, while, while I've got you guys, like I feel quite honoured, so I feel like I need to get as many questions and I brought up my email now. Sure. Um, let me ask this dumb question because it's, it's super, it's probably no like dumb questions. for anyone that, oh, no. okay, well, we'll see. You guys were talking, you guys were talking to, um, some uh, I forget your name, but it was amazing. I loved the interview from Ozbiz. Um, and he was just talking, you know, as it, it, on those Equity Mates um, podcast episodes, they you, you guys, you're talking at a higher level. So sometimes I'm just using it as sort of like a, it's just washing over me. Sure. <laughs> um, he was talking, he was talking about what the market expects. Um, 
I can't remember what the exact sentence was, but he was like, I think the market expects blah, 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 yeah. or we'll react in this way with this like royal we of the market <laughs> as this like ambiguous <laughs> thing. Um, who, who, like, what is the market? Is that being driven by, I assumed when I was like, I wonder what that is. Um, it probably means like more of the sort of banking dudes. And what they're chatting about in their banking circles. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're pretty, you're pretty yeah. well right. Yes. So, <laughs> when people talk, well, what is the market expecting? You know, people are employed, uh, thousands of people are employed to analyze companies and, and come up with uh, assumptions and uh, on what the companies should and shouldn't be. I guess, doing and, and what are the prices that we should expect or what is the stock price that we should expect this company to grow over the next 10 years based on a bunch of analysis. And you've got all these investors who are making decisions, expecting you know companies to do X, Y, and Z. And so when you're talking about the market and if the market expects Woolies to have a great earnings season, we're talking about really everyone who is involved in making investment decisions as professionals and who are analyzing companies. I mean, Ren and I could, you know, we could all be part of the market. Oh, but, you probably but- are now. No, no, <laughs> no, no. Like, no, no. Like, we, equity mates bum. True. You're part of the market as well. The market. Like, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. I, like, surely, surely there are tiers of influence, right? Like, Absolutely. You probably yeah, don't yeah, have yeah, the yeah. same amount of influence as, like, a dude at ANZ who has five bajillion dollars yeah, to spend. Yeah, but yes. you do have yeah. you do have a lot of influence over retail investors. Bryce's dream is to be that tier one influencer. Yeah. <laughs> so, <I'll get> that. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's exactly what Bryce is saying. You know, like everyone is putting predictions out there and people are like deciding what price they're willing to buy and sell the stock um, based on these predictions and the analysis. And then all, all of that sort of goes into the price of the stock. Um, and there's, you know, if the price... Uh, the, the price has certain like assumptions or expectations built into it. You know, if Woolies is doing really well, it shows that the market is expecting Woolies to keep growing really strongly. But then if Woolies stops growing, then, you know, they didn't meet the market's expectations because you could see that all these analysts were putting out reports saying we expect the Woolies to grow strongly and the price was growing to reflect that. So when people talk about the market, which you're right, it's, it's kind of weird when we, when now that we think about it, yeah. um, that's what they mean. It's just like, what's this the consensus idea around this company and what's going to happen to it based on like all the people in finance and uh, yeah, the, all the bankers. Bryce, <laughs> yeah. I've got one more key question. Sure. Um, it might be a big one, but I'm sure you can direct me to an episode or you guys can... I like this. No, we'll record one. We will we'll um we'll finish this question. We won't just palm you off to another. Okay. Episode. <laughs> good, good, good. Make it really um, curly now that he's committed to that. I've, I've heard of this. I've heard of this concept of rebalancing, which I generally I I, I guess I understand it to be. Let's say looking at my little self-wealth portfolio, let's say Zip goes to the moon in the next six months, <laughs> and now I've got like. Now I've got bloody 30,000 bucks worth of zip, but my the rest of like my nice ETFs have just been tracking along consistently. I, I guess I thought of rebalancing meaning 
putting your money, like moving your money about so it still fits your investment style and general goals and aims. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a bit more about rebalancing? How practically do you do it? Because like so many others in the equity mates community, I'm I'm very scared of CGT, which is probably the biggest thing that is keeping me, you know, not pulling out a whole heap of money. Um, And should someone like me, let's say Zip does go to 30 bucks, am I going like, should it be something that I seriously consider if it's, if one of my stock holdings or one of my, it's not going to happen to an ETF, but one of them is, you know, now become 80% of my portfolio? Great question. Um, and CGT, for those that have just joined, is capital gains tax. Um, so, rebalancing is something that professional investors do um, much more than I would say retail investors do because they have like a, a number of mandates generally that they have to construct a, a portfolio around. And so, for example, Kathy Ark over in the United States, she'll- You mean Kathy Wood? Uh, Kathy Wood. I don't know why I said <laughs> Kathy, that, that was your, Kathy Ark. That was your Tim Apple moment. Yeah. <laughs> Kathy Wood, who runs Ark Investments, she has the mandate that Tesla can never be more than 5 or 10% of her portfolio. So if where's that mandate come from? She makes she she applies that oh, mandate okay, herself. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. professional investors will will make mandates about their portfolio so that those investing in the portfolio know what to expect and they know that there's some sort of structure and rhyme and rhythm to what they're doing. It's not just hey we're going to take all your money and hope that zip goes to the moon and then have a portfolio <laughs> that is eighty percent zip. It's all about like capital protection. That for would them. be irresponsible. Yeah, exactly. No, not irresponsible. <laughs> From a professional investor's point of view, it would be. So they have all these mandates and, and rules that lead to them rebalancing portfolios and yes, selling positions and allocating them so that if they always have to have 30% exposure to Australian equities, they need to make sure that they always have that and 20% to high growth, etc. So that's where rebalancing comes in. And yes, there are reasons that people do it from a tax point of view. You might sell some that have been going well and take a profit and then sell some that have lost and then offset. From a retail's point of view though, from a retail investor, it's not something that I personally don't rebalance too often, if at all really. I think for me, if Zip is going to the moon and it's 80% of your portfolio, let it run. Like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're a retail yeah, yeah. investor. Like there's no need to say- As long as your thesis doesn't change. Yeah, as long as your thesis doesn't change, of course. But like, what's the point in saying, oh my God, I've just made so much money on Zip, but my ETF over there is looking a little underwhelming. I want to re- divert some funds. It's like, you have no reason to do that. And I mean, if Zip hits 30, 30 bucks and you're saving for a house, maybe you take it out and put it in the house deposit. Yeah. But like- um, you have to have a reason to be rebalancing and doing it for the sake of it is is pointless. You're paying brokerage fees to buy and sell. And if you're selling Zip at 30 bucks just for the sake of rebalancing, it might go to 60 and yeah, you've just completely yeah, missed that. Yourself, yeah, yeah, you've completely missed that. So the, o- the only thing to add to that is like for a professional investor, they have a set pool of money. Like they might have $100 million that they got from people and that's all they have to invest. So if Zip becomes like 80% of the portfolio, it's not like they can get more money in and buy other stuff. They have to sell Zip if they want to buy other stuff or they have to sell something if they want to buy something new. As like everyday retail investors, we have this great advantage that if we're saving, we can keep putting more money into the market 
And so rather than saying, I'm going to sell some zip and put it into some other stuff, you can just say, all right, well, look, zip, I've, zip's a big part of my portfolio. I'll let that keep going. I won't buy more and I'll just balance my portfolio by the money that I'm saving, I'll put into other stuff. And so let zip yeah, run. Yeah, that's awesome. And mm. Yeah, yeah, buy other stuff. Because and, yeah. I think I've found that I've been doing that naturally in the sense that like, you know, I'll, I'll go through, I'll go through moods and I will probably have bought, you know, I, I, I've talked about a couple of individual stocks, but I like to think I've generally maintained a core and satellite approach in the sense that, you know, my most recent purchase was this uh, speculative mining stock, which will teach me a lot, I think, and I haven't put in more than I'm willing to get Slater and Gordon. Um, <laughs> what a burn. What a burn. <laughs> I like how we're using that as like a verb. Now you've Slater. got Slater and Gordon. <laughs> so, so, you know, like I, I've had that little fun and now I can see the impact that that's having on my portfolio as a whole. Um, but so now probably over the next few months, I will probably rebalance in the sense that I will be putting more, more of my savings into those safer ETFs to sort of just yeah. <laughs> offset the 6% losses that I'm facing every time it drops the cent. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I, I know that there's plenty more that we can chat about, but, um, we are limited by time, unfortunately, Alicia. So we are going to have to leave it there. But firstly, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your your journey and asking the questions that I know many other people in the Get Started Investing community and the Equity Mates community probably also have on the tip of their tongue. Uh, I would also like to invite you back on at another point to continue <gasps> <Yes>. <laughs> to continue oh chatting I'm through. A, I'm Rohan level. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta get there. Well, maybe Rohan. we need to. I, maybe I we believe, need to do a Rohan believe, Alicia collab. That's not bad. <laughs> oh, oh, I oh believe, my gosh, we can do. Oh, I think in your first email economic. you said you were a bit ahead of Rohan. And he <laughs> <laughs> one step ahead. One so step maybe ahead. we can have a bit of a, a competition guy. <laughs> yeah, he's got to get on. He's. I, I'm really excited. I like. You know. I know he came on recently, but I'm. I'm excited for the stage of his journey when he moves on to. I, I can't remember from last time if he's on like a not taking away from Comsec Pocket, but whether he's moved on to like a Probably full like service a, broker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He I, hasn't yet. I don't I, think no, he would have. But no. we'll, uh, Ooh, we'll we're need to ask. Him. Yeah, we're getting there. We're getting there. <laughs> but. Uh, He's going to be stoked that he's used as a barometer yes. as well. <laughs> so we'll get you back on plenty plenty more to discuss, I'm sure. Um, but a, a massive thank you for, for coming on today and, as I said, sharing your journey. I know it's um, going to be of a lot of value to, to those in our community. So, um, yeah, let's look forward to connecting again. And, uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much, guys, for the work that you do because I do think, like I touched on it at the beginning, but I do think that you have a bigger role than you probably think in terms of um, helping people really move out of maybe a space that they were in before and really empowering them and getting them involved in the stock market. Well, I appreciate yeah, those comments. It's, nice. uh, yeah, it's nice that. to hear. Thank you. Get Started Investing is a product of Equity Bates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of Get Started Investing are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. 
Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find the ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Get Started Investing acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 